0: Blog Talk Radio. February 10th, 2017 edition of Don't Let It Go Unheard. And the reason I'm here on a Friday is because I have the privilege of speaking with Dr. Yaron Brook. Many of you know Yaron Brook. He is the executive co-chairman and president of the Ayn Rand Institute. Originally, he had been scheduled here today to do a debate, but the opponent of the debate has withdrawn because he could not comply with my reasonable rules regarding the debate so instead i get the pleasure of discussing this topic of immigration by myself with you're on your own welcome to the show
1: hey amy it's good to be on and and i actually think we'll get much more covered this way than we would in a debate format
0: i i think i think we will as well uh the question is can people in the chat room i'm asking here over at blog talk radio if people in the chat room can hear you well enough go ahead and and speak again and see if how they're doing yeah, hopefully
1: hopefully everybody can hear me i'm trying to speak loud but for some reason our phone connection is pretty is weak so uh let amy know on the chat if you can hear my voice
0: jonathan in the chat room is saying where's Lindsay? uh they say that they can't hear you garbled and low yeah
1: okay let me let me call you back from a different phone then.
0: okay sounds good thanks i'll,
1: I'll, I'll, I'll call right back Bye.
0: okay Okay, low volume. He's going to go ahead and call back, you guys. Um, He was trying a different phone system, and that's just not going to cut it. When people call into my show, I usually get a much better connection than that with them. Uh, So let me tell you guys, uh, yeah, Lindsay dropped out because he could not adhere to the rule that I had. And there's a discussion of that on social media. I don't want to bore you with it now, Uh, but I have a discussion on a public post on my Facebook page that you can check out about the the rule that he decided he couldn't adhere to, and I think he put a link to his statement so you can read all about it. I'm not going to be taking any calls and probably not going to have any time for any more questions. No, one of the ads is not going to sub in. What I've done is I have collated all of the issues into a list of questions that is organized that I'm going to go ahead and ask you on. So I think we're going to actually cover a lot more of the topic that everybody's interested in hearing about if we do it this way. Okay, you're on. You're on. Let's listen. How are you doing? Can you hear me?
1: Is this better?
0: Yeah, I I can hear you much better. better? How about everyone in the chat room? Can you guys hear him? Can you hear him better?
1: Okay. Can you hear me, everybody? Is this better?
0: I can hear you much better myself. So, sorry, the other phone system is just not working that well. So, let's just dive right in if you're okay with that uh, because we have such limited time here. There's a couple meta issues and then we'll go to the substance of the issue of immigration itself. And the first meta issue is whether you've changed your position on immigration over time. Uh, if so, how have you changed it? Should that even matter very much as it seems to, to some participants in this debate?
1: Well, I think it's a silly question. Um, are we not allowed to change our minds in objectivism? What, what, what's the value of that? The question is, what is the truth? But but yes and no, I would say. I have not changed my mind on immigration in any kind of principled way. Uh, But reality has uh, made available new concrete situations that I did not take into account when I first discussed immigration. I think the first time I discussed immigration formally was in 2008. For example, uh, the mass uh, immigration into Europe by Muslims Uh, Was not something I considered, and I think anybody considered in 2008 that kind of mass exodus. So that wasn't something I treated. Now, does that change anything I said in the 2008 debate? No. The fact is that I still believe in screening for terrorists. And, uh, you know, what the nature of that screening is, how that's done, I've never really articulated. Uh, I would say it needs to be more aggressively done. And then, I would now have an additional point, and you can ask me about this. What do you do if uh, there is a massive movement of people, millions or tens of millions of people on your border climbing, come in? What would happen in a, an in a open, you know, for an advocate of open borders? What, how would we deal with that? But that's, right. that's a new wrinkle, uh, and the principles by which we would deal with it are the same. You still have to have the same kind of considerations. You just have to think about these things. And, uh, you know, so I'm not going to talk about my critics, but you, you really have to think about these things. And um, so I don't think in, subs- in essence anything has really changed. Uh, it, I'll also say this. There's a lot of confusion out there in terms of the difference between my view of immigration in a laissez-faire capitalist um, world And my view of immigration today and how we get from where we are today to a, you know, the way immigration should be in a laissez-faire, it would be like asking me, um, Iran, because you believe that in a laissez-faire world there should be no Social Security, and indeed you believe that Social Security is immoral, does that mean you believe that tomorrow, tomorrow we just do away with Social Security? And the answer is no. Uh, and, right. and it's the same thing. There are transitions. And then the interesting question is, how do you transition? But let's agree on the end state. And I find what I find horrifying and, ups- and, and disappointing is that there's so many people who can't even agree on the end state. Then we can debate how we should do it today and how we should transition to the end state. But uh, right. I thought the end state was settled in objectivism. So anyway, that's so that's one issue um, I don't know if it's a meta issue, but there certainly is
0: one. Okay, yeah, I mean, just the issue of, of changing your mind on a topic. Um, I think in some cases you have been taken out of context. So, in one sense, you were talking about immigration in general. In another sense, you were talking about the issue of Muslim immigration in a time of war, in particular, and that you know you could be interpreted as of having had two positions. But I didn't interpret you that way at all the other yeah, thing I,
1: I mean i don't i would rather not get into a discussion of the more prominent articles out there that have criticized my no position no, no immigration yeah. i don't we're, think, we're just i don't think gonna, worthy of it
0: uh, right we're we're gonna we're gonna go stick ahead. to the substance we're gonna stick this sub- up and and i appreciate that we're gonna do that because the next meta issue is what we're gonna call tone and you and i are more than familiar because we've been the target of some of the disrespectful tone from the pro-Trump, anti-immigration side of the debate. But what about your side or ARI's side? Has there been, in your view, some unwarranted usage of terms like xenophobic or racist? You know, this is a very difficult and controversial issue, and there are a variety of viewpoints represented even within the objectivist movement. And I think some of these are because people are legitimately distressed about the world Being in effect on a fast track to the dark ages. So, some people have said, you know, maybe ARI should publish something that addresses thoughtfully and respectfully without using, you know, necessarily. There is some xenophobia and racism out there, but not everybody who disagrees, you know, with open immigration is xenophobic and racist. So, maybe address these various positions that people have taken. In well, a well
1: certainly, I agree that we should we should publish something, and we will at some points. Uh, there's a lot to publish. There's a lot of stuff to do, um, so so we will be publishing something on this, and and I intend to talk more about immigration, and try to clarify a lot more. This is part of that effort uh, today's interview. Um, but I don't remember, and I, and I, and if I if somebody wants to correct me, I'd be happy to look at it. I don't remember ever making, or anybody at the institute ever making broad statements about objectivists who disagree about immigration i think that in the debate over immigration as conducted by republicans and as conducted during this and previous elections there was much xenophobia argued that and uh, i stand by that i have no problem but i don't remember a broad statement that everybody disagrees with me on, on immigration is a xenophobic or racist and yes, some of my critics, when we have debated on Facebook about these issues, have come across as xenophobic and racist, objectivist, and I've okay. called them on it, and uh, so be it. So I, I don't regret the fact that I find some of these people dishonest and xenophobic and racist, but I've done it on, uh, with regard to particular individuals when they have made particular statements that i think justify that characterization so um you know if they don't demonstrate this I, I don't think i made blanket statements you know i'll i'll apologize if it turns out that i have because i i don't hold those statements i some of my some people who i value a lot like leonard Peikoff, uh, i you know we disagree on immigration right. so i would never i would never make these arguments in a blanket way that would include him for example um but let me also say this, because I think this is important. I don't think this issue is that hard. That is, it's it's there's complexity here. There, there's a lot going on, particularly uh, given the state of the culture and what our policy should be today. Mm-hmm. But I find that most of the arguments with regard to this, I don't I don't find many you know really interesting complex issues here that really need to be addressed. I find that people you know uh, there, there, there's one or two issues primarily security and then there's the issue of, of, of voting uh which are somewhat complicated i don't think that that complicated um so uh, particularly particularly in with regard to the end game that is particularly with regard to what should be immigration policy in an, in a in a free market i don't find that particularly hard now you know I disagree with a lot of people on this so so maybe it's harder than I think it is. But, um, but I think people overstate the complexity and the hardness. Now, I've given talks on objectivism is, is hard to apply. And, and maybe this is one of the categories under that. And, and uh, so maybe I should take back what I just said, right? Um, and then let me just say this. I think given, um, given the abuse and the unbelievable disrespect that I get out there on these issues, I mean, unbelievably patient with people. So uh, it is
0: pretty. Amazing I, I agree. To me. I agree. Kudos. It, so yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. So it, it's pretty amazing to me the kind of stuff that people are saying. Um, you know, given everything that I've done and given my my history, right? So it's it's not that I'm talking about topics I know nothing about. Uh, w- whether it's Islam, I mean, how many of these people have actually fought the Islamists? Actually killed them. Actually, being engaged in combat, actually sat down with, to dinner with Muslims, and and uh, you know being in their families and lived with them, and how many grew up and and told it might explode and blow off your hand, um, you know the, the, the context and have studied the whole Islamic totalitarian movement as much as I have all stood up after nine eleven and and uh, debated this and had people arrested in the audience because they tried to attack or gotten death threats of decapitating me and my family. I mean, it's just, right. it's just unbelievable to me that, that people in objectivism would just – I mean, we can disagree, but the level of disrespect and the level of debate is, is being
0: – <laughs> it's, it's, <laughs> <real, laughs> it's dismaying, and that was something that I talked about on my show on Wednesday. <laughs> Again, in some ways I understand, and it, it seems that people on both sides of this debate, both the pro-Trump and the anti-Trump, they're both seeing the end of the world, right? So some people think yep. Trump is, yep. you know, the sign of the end times. And then some people think that Trump is the only person who can save us from the end times. And yep. it's, you know, in, in that way, it's, to me, understandable. Uh, but so anyway, can so. can I give
1: a plug for my show, my show tomorrow will deal with that question. Are we at the end of times? And if we are, what caused it? Uh, are we going to be run over? Is Western civilization going to die at the hands of Islam? Uh, if it's going to die, what's what's causing that death? And uh, and and are we indeed on the brink of uh, of annihilation? So, you know, I, I think uh, like on most of these issues, there's way too much emotion and too little objectivity uh, applied to these kind of discussions.
0: Okay. Okay. So. Thanks for that. And, yeah, I want to tune in tomorrow as well. Let's get into the substance of the issue itself. And the way I would propose is we do sort of a sliding scale. So we talk about what would immigration policy be in an ideal society? Uh, What would immigration be in sort of a mixed economy situation, which we may be in right now? Uh, Or are we on the brink of collapse or disaster Well, as some people think that we are, well, maybe we need to take extraordinary measures, maybe, you know, depending on what your answers are. And then the questions are, in each of these kind of three scenarios, do you stop people at the border at all? If so, what would you stop them for and on what grounds, you know, possible grounds on which, you know, you could stop people have been either they're jihadists or other people who are at war with us. And we can talk about, you know, how strict that should be in a time of war. Uh, Criminals, of course, Uh, people who are carrying highly dangerous and highly contagious diseases, people who will be a financial burden or people who will will compete for our jobs. So, for example, Trump is planning a huge H-1B visa restriction that's perhaps going to kill some very productive companies in our country. Uh, And then finally, people who uh, hold or likely will spread and or vote according to anti-rights ideologies whether these ideologies are religious or secular you know isn't the culture some sort of a real entity that maybe we'd be entitled to protect these are the various grounds that people have had you know proposed for peeping, keeping people out at the border and again you know we could look at this in an ideal society in a you know mixed economy society or in the end times disaster society
1: Sounds good to me.
0: So you want to start with ideal? Sounds
1: good. Sure. So I, I think for an ideal society, this is uh, fairly simple. Uh, so individual right, the role of government is the protection of individual rights, period. Uh, mm-hmm. There's no culture there. There's no anything else because culture doesn't violate rights. Uh, speech doesn't violate rights. You know, what violates rights is action, is physical action, the use of force. So what the government is there to protect us is from people who might and are and, uh, there's, there's going to use force against us. Uh, part of the rights of individuals include the right to move, the right to uh, get up and act to improve your own life by crossing a border. A border doesn't change the fundamental nature of of one's rights so absolutely uh, uh, in a free society a mexican has every way right to get up and cross that border now the government does have a wall at the border so i do not believe that the border between mexico and the united states or the border between two countries is exactly the same as moving from one city to another so i, I disagree here with harry Binswanger. Okay. The, role of government is to, the role of government is to protect our rights. And as such, it needs to, do, uh, it needs to it, it act in certain ways that guarantee that it can do its job. For example, it, it needs to be able to know generally who is in the country. Uh, and uh, if there are new people in the country, if there are a lot of new people in the country, it, that affects resources. It affects the way they enforce the law. It relates to the threats that might exist. Uh, And since there is a border and since other governments are protecting, supposedly, protecting the rights of citizens in other places, um, the government cannot just assume that it knows that the people coming across the border do not represent a threat. So I believe that everybody at the border needs to be stopped. Everybody at the border needs to be questioned. Everybody at the border needs to go through some kind of screening, but that screening is only to assess the risk to the individual rights of Americans that this individual poses. And it, again, there are, there are three big categories and, and we can discuss mass migration afterwards, hopefully, but there are yeah. three big categories. One, they are an agent of a foreign country, or they are an agent of a terrorist organization or they are uh, advocates, uh, advocates for violent overthrow of the U.S. government are they in some way at war with the United States of America. That is, their goal in coming to the United States is warfare. It, it's, it's to kill Americans or to, or to overthrow the government. Right. And just like we would arrest people like that if they were inside the United States, we're going to stop people like that from entering the United States. pretty easy, pretty straightforward. Second category is criminals. Uh, Again, I think pretty straightforward. We would arrest them in the United States, certainly we're not going to let them into the United States. And the third is bearers of contagious disease. And here, you know, what is a contagious disease? You'd have to really study the thing. And when is a contagious disease? A threat to the individual rights uh, of citizens. So in a situation where if they were in the United States, they would be quarantined. Uh, then you're not going to let them into, if they carry that kind of disease, you're not going to let them into the United States in order to quarantine them. I mean, that would be absurd.
0: Yeah, so we could consult three, an expert.
1: Those, yeah, yeah you, you'd, need, you'd need expertise for that, and there'd have to be laws written about that and, and so on. And, and the government should have a role in infectious diseases, so it would have an agency that could define these kind of things. So those are the three categories, broad categories, where you wouldn't allow somebody in. Now, right. uh, let's take some complexities, right? So we're, we're engaged, uh, you know, what do we do now with, with generally with Muslims? It's so hard to tell who are terrorists and who are not. Mm-hmm. But here, if we lived in a rational society, if we lived in a laissez-faire country, Islam, and, and I stand by this, and, and I know people don't agree with this, but, you know, what can I do? Islam would not be a threat to the United States if the United States was a proper self-respecting, Lazarus capitalist country we would have So defeated them in the Middle East We would so have Demoralized them That there would be a threat And to the extent that there was a threat It would be relatively small And minor it, 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 You know it certainly would not be an existential Threat to the United States And again you do the screening and if you have to do Special screening to Muslims That's fine and even During the time of warfare The United States would have declared war against, uh, against uh, Islamic totalitarianism, against the jihadis, uh, by definition, given that it was a less faire capitalist kind of country, it would have declared war. As part of a war, um, a declaration of war, you can certainly expand the banning of immigrants because you're not sure who is a, who is a foreign agent and who is not, who is really a terrorist and who is not. And for the period of the war, and only for the period of the war, you can do things like ban all Muslims or ban all people from certain countries. But first, there has to be a declaration of war that defines the beginning and the end and defines clearly who the enemy is. And, and I would be all for that. So you can expand the, the restriction on entering the country for that period of time. But let me again say, this war, I believe, would be very short— it would be right. very decisive, and it would completely crush the the any terrorist elements uh, that that really was going to uh, was going to uh, come into the United States. And if anybody wants a detail on how it would execute the war, you can look at Ilan Giorno's, uh "Winning the Unwinnable War," or you can look at my many many talks about this. Uh, you know, but it would have to be a comprehensive war. But again, I don't think, given the nature of the enemy, this would not last very long. Uh, and it would be, but it would be definitive. So let's take another scenario, which, which people raise: this idea of mass migration. So let's assume there was a civil war tomorrow, yes, uh, tomorrow in Mexico, and 40 million Mexicans started marching towards the U.S. border. Okay. What would we do? Well, first, you can't just let 40 million people cross the border. First, because we said, I believe that we should vet everybody. That takes time. It takes resources. You wouldn't have the resources to do forty million, and you'd basically stop them from crossing the border. I, and, by the way, and, by the way, who you know, who
0: should pay? Yeah. Who should pay for that screening? You're talking about resources. Oh, I don't know.
1: I haven't even, I have thought about that. I mean, p- potentially the immigrant themselves should pay right. for it, uh, but it's not clear because you're defending the individual rights of Americans. So Americans should pay for it. You know, in a in a, in a, in a capitalist economy, that that doesn't matter. It's such a small cost. It's trivial. Um, I mean, it could be that the businesses here
0: who want to do business with them would pay for them to be screened. Yeah, right.
1: But what if they want to come in as a tourist? Or what if they want to come in in another way? So there are many reasons why people might want to come to the U.S. that have nothing to do with work. Um, And and so the screening still has to happen. I think at the end of the day, the U.S. would have to do it because it's part of the government's job. In protecting the individual rights of American citizens So let's take this mass migration So The screening would be impossible But then second 40 million people entering the United States All at once Would clearly violate the property rights of Americans I mean where are they going to live Where are they going to sleep How are they going to If they cross the border They're going to definitely cross over Into private property Which means that they're going to be trespassing Um and, and if, they, if they just build, remember in a laissez-faire capitalist economy, all land and all property is owned privately. So they're definitely going to have to be um, stopped because they're going to be in violation of the individual rights of Americans. Now, right. those within the 40 million who have a have a hotel room in the United States, or have a friend that invited them, or have a job waiting for them in the U.S. would get. Would get uh, priority in terms of screening. They would be screened and they would be allowed in. But you wouldn't just allow 40 million people to cross over the border and enter the United States. Again, a a big chunk of that has to do with the fact that they would be violating property rights in crossing over the border. Um, Okay. I think that. So does that cover all the scenarios?
0: Yeah. So. So. And. and, And again, to be clear, we've we've now covered we've covered all the scenarios in. An ideal society, pure laissez-faire society, but nonetheless, there's going to be these contingencies of either people at war with us or sometimes, you know, someone across the border from us. They're going to have their own civil war and try to send us a, a swarm of people over. And you say that, yes, you do believe in stopping, but stopping for only very limited purposes in that type of society.
1: Well, but, but if 40 million people are coming across, and I'm not saying Mexico right. sent them. I'm saying it's a no. war, and they're running away, and they want to calm the refugees, right? But we don't have an altruistic obligation to, to, to bring them in. Um, property holders in the United States cannot have their rights violated because refugees need shelter unless mm-hmm. they invite them in. So those who are invited in by specific individuals and have a place to stay and are not going to violate rights would be screened and let in. But it's unlikely that you would all at once be able to screen 40 million people, and all of them would have a home in the United States. This is something that it would take probably years, if you, and, and hopefully by then that civil war in in, in Mexico would be over, uh, and and most people would would go back to their homes. So, um, okay, yeah, I mean, but but if over many years, 40 million people emigrated into the United States. I, for one, do not think that's a big deal. Now, oh, so there's one other issue about laissez-faire, a laissez-faire society. So what if those 40 million people ultimately come into the United States? What about American culture? What about the right. politics of this laissez-faire, laissez-faire right. country?
0: Well, that, that's, that's what I was going to add, yes.
1: Yeah. First response should be, that's not the role of government. Period. It's not the role of government. It's not the role of government to preserve the culture. It's not the role of government to, uh, to decide how these people are going to vote and what's, what's a good vote and what's a bad vote, what's a right vote and what's a wrong vote. Note that in a laissez-faire capitalist society, you've got a, you've got a, a strong constitution. It, it really, voting is not that important because you have real separations of, of uh, government from the rest of our lives. Uh, the difference between parties or individuals running would be small. Who cares in terms of voting? But I would add this, and, I, and I've always argued this. I think... That in that society, but it, but as well as today, I think there should be a clear difference between people coming here, whether as tourists or as people working or to come to live here, and people becoming citizens. I think it should generally be hard to become a citizen. I think voting is something that is that is something that you have to you have to prove that you know what you're voting about. So if you want to have some kind of ideological test with regard to your knowledge of the principles of America, the structure of American government, but a real test, not the kind of test they give today, then have it for citizenship. Make it very difficult for people to become citizens. I, I would even consider not making first-generation immigrants into citizens, although that would have excluded me, it would have excluded Iran, it would have excluded a lot of people from becoming uh, citizens. But that's fine. And, and, but, but it wouldn't have excluded people from coming here to live. So I think you have to separate citizenship from that, but more importantly than that, what I think the people who are worried about culture reveal about themselves, and I'm trying not to make a generalized insult here, and it's not insulting, but it it really is a lack of confidence, any kind of confidence in a good culture and that good culture's ability to assimilate people. And, And the source of this could be I'm not saying it is. Don't say I called you a racist, but some of you guys. But it could be racism, a form of determinism where you say, well, people from Mexico can never be like us Europeans, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but, that's, but, that's, but that's what it is, that it, it is racism and it's wrong and it's a deterministic view of human nature. Come, it, it, can, it can have the right ideas. The right ideas are not determined by genes and they're not determined by our racial or ethnic background. They're determined by whether we're willing to think or not to think, whether to engage our minds or not to engage our minds. And that has nothing to do with racial characteristics. Um, So I have unbelievable confidence in the ability of rational people to bring about the assimilation of new people into a rational culture. I think that's certainly true. I mean, just imagine what a world would be like where we had laissez-faire capitalism. I mean, I mean, this is partially a, a lack of imagination, right? I mean, think about the kind of people we would be surrounded with. Think about 300 million people in the United States and what ideas they would have and what kind of life they would be living and how rich we would be, and how prosperous and flourishing and happy and, and all these things that we would be if we truly lived in a laissez-faire capitalist society. And you're worried about immigrants or you're worried about Muslims. I wouldn't be worried about anything. We would, we would defeat any threat thoroughly, systematically, and quickly. And we would easily assimilate anybody who came into this country relatively quickly. Look how, how well America assimilated immigration in the 19th century when it wasn't a perfect country, when it was, when it was still a troubled country. Um, and it brought in people from all kinds of horrible backgrounds. Now, did it assimilate everybody? No. But why are we worried about those who don't assimilate? That's such a small percentage of the population
0: well, in a free how about, market. They
1: can't leech up of anybody else. They'll, they'll well, either but, return to their home country or die.
0: How, how about the idea, though, that however good a constitution is written, it's always going to have to be implemented by people and eventually, if you have an influx uh, and you have, you know, a kind of a substantial minority of people with statist ideas, that eventually that's going to start affecting the government. In fact, that's been the reason for perhaps our decline. You know, so, so it's, nothing, yeah, to- no matter how good the Constitution is, no matter what, how great your starting point, there's free will and, you know, people with different ideas. And potentially over time, it could be eroded
1: but that gives way too much credence and way too much power to evil so it it assumes that evil is efficacious bad ideas win out historically over the long run and that's just untrue and Ayn Rand talks about this quite a bit the only reason evil wins is when, when the good doesn't show up and again we're talking about a culture that has adopted let's say objectivism, objectivist ideas right and has a constitution based on those ideas. So even better than the founding fathers, right? So consistent, philosophical. There are intellectuals fighting for the good openly. The media is oriented towards reality and facts. And, I mean, this is an unimaginable culture. It's not like 19th century America, which was still dominated by Christianity and altruism. And, and, and all this mixture that the founders left. We're talking about a consistently laissez-faire capitalist world. There is no risk of, of evil ideas dominating. Now, sure, if, bad guys beca- if the good guys become lazy, then yes. If the good it turns its back and doesn't defend itself, then yes. But that would happen anyway. Maybe immigration would accelerate it, but it would happen anyway that we would decline. But if it really was uh, a, 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 a laissez-faire, objectivist civilization, I mean, I can't imagine how you could be afraid of anything, really, literally anything. We could take on anybody at any time, any way. Just think of the power of ideas, and particularly the power of our ideas. Our ideas. Islam has a chance. You think, you think Marxism has a chance? Yeah. I mean, they, they would all by the wayside, in, in, people, would, people would drop those ideas in an instant to embrace the kind of ideas that we are advocating when they saw how efficacious they were. And remember, these are people who coming to America. Why are they coming to America? Because they're escaping the stupid ideas they grew up with. I mean, this idea that people come here and they hold on to the old ancient ideas is ludicrous, Yes, they vote Democratic because what's I mean, we could have a whole debate about the difference between Democrats and Republicans and and how legitimate that difference really is. But the idea that the the people who come here are the best in their culture. These are people who want to change. These are people who want a different life. These are people who are escaping some bad thing, whether it's economic bad or culturally bad or religiously bad. That's why they come here even today. Never mind. If we were truly laissez-faire, and there was no welfare state, and there were none of these things. It just—I yeah. mean, to me, that is that is such a non-issue uh, in in in, uh, in a laissez-faire country. And and, and again, it in shows in,
0: kind of a lack in the in the laissez-faire society, right, right. Yeah. In, I, in I the laissez-faire it, society, it, it, it it, the
1: lack it's it's.
0: I was going to say the the government wouldn't actively be involved in trying to bring refugees in the way it is today you you know that it's not the proper role of government to say okay we're going to bring in yep. x number and we're going to go grab them and you know use our tax dollars to pay for and them fund them
1: and subsidize them and support them i mean no government should do that so right. so in terms of refugees the position is even today uh we should not be subsidizing them if somebody can come here on their own merits or if some nonprofit is subsidizing them or if some individual is subsidizing them then we do the screening, and we let them in, just like we would right. let anybody in but but the government has no business doing this
0: so then let's you go know, could, to yeah. oh okay, go ahead finish if you need to, and then I want to go to the mixed economy situation
1: okay so
0: yeah so so now we've got the mixed economy situation where if people come in, they can immediately start voting for more bad things. Uh, We have people encouraged to come here who may just want, you know, be interested in getting on welfare benefits. We do have a government who is actively trying to bring in a certain quota of refugees and maybe they're going to slide on the screening uh, requirements and, and, you know, put Americans at risk in order to bring refugee populations here that will have elements dangerous to us. Does any of what you've said, you know, change in this, Mixed economy, not total disaster on the edge of the cliff, but, you know, where we are today on the most optimistic
1: look. Well, I mean, I think the way we advocate and what we advocate for doesn't essentially change because what we're advocating for is a laissez-faire capitalist economy. We're advocating for individual rights. So we're, 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 the goalpost is still where it is, and that's where we want to get to, just like – Even though I don't believe Social Security should be eliminated tomorrow, I do believe it should be eliminated. And I will argue vehemently that it's immoral and and a plan should be put in place to do away with it. The same with restrictions and immigration. I would still say they are immoral and a plan needs to be put in place to do away with it as we approach. Now, nobody's going to take my plan seriously. And I know that, just like nobody's taking my plan seriously about Social Security but it is incumbent on objective to make a moral case about the morality or immorality of government action and about how to transition from where we are today to the end game. So, um, you know, so immigration is, is, uh, is just one more issue, just like and false policy. I, you know, I argue that, um, that we need to eviscerate, you know, go to war with Iran and Saudi Arabia and crush them and, and eviscerate them. And then nobody's going to do that. No, It's not going to happen. And indeed, when I have said, well, since that's not going to happen, let me argue for a, a, a compromise position, a middle ground, like let's go to Iraq instead of going to Iran and Saudi Arabia, and hopefully something good will turn out from that, I was mistaken. It turned out to be a disaster, the, 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 the war in Iraq. And I wish I'd never advocated for it because it turns out that when you live in a mixed economy, almost anything the government does is going to turn out badly. And the last thing I want is to give my government more power when I know they're going to do it poorly. So do I want to give the government more power to control immigration when I know that they're going to do it poorly, that they're not going to screen out real bad guys? They're not going to screen out and they're going to use it in the end to screen out good people. They're going to be horrible outcomes, negative outcomes from this. No, I don't, I don't want to give the the government any more power than it already has. I I don't want to grow the government. I don't want them building walls. I don't want them uh, hiring more agents to go after me at the end of the day or after people like me who are going to be immigrants in the future. We are for sure. Linking government to its essential function, which is protection of individual rights. So so in terms of what we argue for, we need to argue for open immigration, and then we need to be able to make an argument of how we get there. So we're not going to have open immigration tomorrow. So what are logical steps going from where we are today to open immigration, right? So I would say things about the scenario today. One. Okay. Muslims should be screened more vigorously. We, we can't ban them because we haven't declared war, but they should be screened because, you know, and, and I hope... Now, by the way, the executive order that Trump signed is awful because it includes certain elements of screening that have to do with your understanding or your faithfulness to the founding principles of this country. That's the kind of screening I don't want this government or any government in a mixed economy to do because they're going to screen me out one day because I don't abide by the founding founding principles as they understand them. So, So I want the screening to be screening about violence, about their propensity for violence, their sympathy with violent ideologies. And don't, somebody's going to say that, well, Islam is a violent ideology. Well, but they are Muslims who interpret it differently. And if they interpret Islam as being, non-violent and they're going to come here and not going to be violent you have no right to start you have no right to screen them out based on that so they have to be proponents of a violent version of islam a, a violent uh ideology and how you do the screening and all that you know the israelis do a very good job profiling we need to do a lot more profiling in america profile people who are real threats and not let them in so that's one component the second component is we need comprehensive immigration reform, not, not little, you know, fixes here and there. That's, that's a ridiculous view that the Republicans have. It's, it's stupid. What we need is comprehensive immigration reform. And I would, I would have part of that comprehensive immigration reform. One, more intense screening. Second, anybody who can find a job in the United States gets a five-year visa. Renewable if they keep that job and if the employer still wants them. There's no issue here of e- economics because if you understand economics, immigration is clearly a benefit economically, even in a mixed economy. Immigration massively creates wealth. The, 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 the field of economics is unequivocal about this question, um, even with the mixed economy, even with the welfare state. Now, particularly if... They are coming for a known job. So put in place a mechanism that if you have a job, you don't get, you can't come to the United States, I mean, not unless you're a tourist, but you can't come to the United States uh, unless you have a job. And that job could be in any field. It could be picking apples. It could be in high tech. That's another thing that I find funny. People think that if we opened the borders tomorrow, we would get a bunch of third worlders, from from uh, depressed countries and the fact is that if we open the borders tomorrow what we would get mostly are europeans and israelis and chinese and most of them would be engineers and entrepreneurs and people wanted to, wanted to really if you open the border tomorrow with sweden sweden would empty out of much of its population they don't want to live in that cold pathetic place and they and many of them are entrepreneurial and many have uh, still have that viking spirit yes they're socialists but if they came to America, they would abandon that pretty quickly uh, and, and they would start businesses. So we only think about a certain type of immigrant instead of thinking about the fact that 50 percent of successful uh, Silicon Valley startups were started, had at least one founder who was an immigrant. And, and you could go on and on and on about the benefits of immigrants to the U.S. economy. So if you can find a job or if you have money to invest in the U.S. So in other words, you are going to be self-sufficient if you're not going to, if you're unlikely to be on the welfare state. Then you should be allowed in, and, and uh, again, granted the screening, the intense screening for, for terrorism, Islamic sympathy, criminality, and infectious disease. So um, you get a five-year visa. It's not a path to citizenship uh, at, a, at, a, at a separate date, and you could say after being here 20 years, you can apply separately for path to citizenship. Uh, that would require a whole new screening and maybe, uh, you know, an intense test or maybe we exclude that from first generation immigrants and we only apply it to second generation or whatever. Um, that's a technicality. But the point is that these people would come in. They couldn't vote for many, many, many years, uh, probably for a whole generation at least. And, uh, but they could work here and, and uh, they, we would respect their right of movement, their right to, to get a job. We'd respect the rights of employers in America to go overseas and, and bring in employees. I mean, again, why do we want the government to give the government more power, more control over who we employ, right? Don't, don't we as objectivists want to reduce the power the, power the government has over employment law? Right. If I want to hire a bunch of Mexicans for my plant, how is, it in the how is it the government's business? Who I employ in my plant or who I don't? Or if I want to invite people to spend, uh, to spend some time in my hotel, how is it the government? I mean, is it, isn't this private property? So, again, once they're screened for not violating individual rights, and once they're screened, let's say, in a mixed economy, for not likely to be immediately on the welfare system, then it's none of anybody's business. And then with regard to refugees, the same would apply. If you can come in here because an NGO is funding you or because a philanthropist is funding you and you pass all the screens, welcome to the United States. But... If you're going to be dependent on the government and if you will require subsidies, you know, that's one of the subsidies that should go. Now, the government subsidizes so many things. You know, it's it's hard to single this out as particularly disastrous. So of all the things government does, is subsidizing refugees the most upsetting of them? No, not if the refugees are properly screened. what else? So, uh, what else? So, so, yeah, so it? that, again, the, I, this,
0: this kind of covers the mixed economy situation, and, and it sounds like the main uh, kind of things that you were wanting to address in that mixed economy situation are the issue of voting, so that, you know, people, and you would say even in the ideal society, there wouldn't be the right to vote for quite a absolutely. long time anyway. Okay. Um, voting
1: rights are not an important right, they're not a fundamental right. Uh, and, and uh, citizenship, there's a difference between living in a country and being a citizen in a country. There, there's no, I mean, the, the whole issue of what is a citizen, what isn't a citizen, how do we treat citizens differently than non-citizens, again, there's an enormous amount of kind of legal complexity there that I think many people just brush aside and take for granted, but it is a complex issue, and it is an issue that the government has a role in deciding because the citizens' rights protected in a different way than a non-citizen's rights are protected, it. And, and again, that's, a, that's an issue for legal philosophy to figure out exactly where the borderlines are and so on. But citizenship is a different, I think, barrier than is immigration. I don't think the two should be, should be equalized. And then people say, well, the left would never allow you to have citizens come in, people to come in, but not grant them citizenship. Yeah, but we're assuming here if the left has power, then of course, bad things are going to happen. for that matter. If the right, has probably bad things are going to happen. So we're assuming what should be our advice to the world, not what, what will happen if, if, if the left controls things, if the left controls things, they won't listen to our advice on anything. So, you know, add, add another thing to the list. Um, and that's true, by the way, to the right as well. Um, so, so, yeah, so the same thing is 40 million people appear on your border. Again, there's no way you're going to let 40 million people in. First of all, by the, by the criteria of jobs, they couldn't qualify. And, uh, and by the way, so here's the transition plan from this to laissez which I think you always have to express. You can't just mm-hmm. say, here's my immigration plan for today. You have to say, here's my immigration plan for today, and here is how I'm going to slowly shape, change it, as we move towards laissez-faire, well, as you start dismantling the welfare state, you start loosening the requirements of work so that right. ultimately, because there's no welfare state, then no requirements for work. So it's, it's a matter of slowly loosening the reins, you know, 10-year visas instead of five-year visas, uh, different kind of jobs or, or whatever. I mean, you can think about the details. And another time. But again, a lot of this stuff you have to be cognizant of the details and and, and the specifics. This is not just abstract theory that we're talking about. So
0: now in, in the in the mixed economy situation where you do have to be concerned about people coming here and becoming, you know, dependent on welfare and, and other things that freebies that the government offers, could you see a necessity today where people would say, Well, we really need a wall because We've got this welfare magnet, magnet of other things that the mixed economy is drawing people here, and that's why there's this clamor for a wall that somehow a wall adds something in that context that it wouldn't add in a laissez fair. The whole
1: wall thing, in my view, is, is stupid. I mean, what do you need a wall for? Um, there's no mass immigration into the United States today. There hasn't been, for at least 10 years, any significant net. Immigration into the United States Illegal immigration into the United States Indeed the the most credible Statistics they are And there are no no really good statistics On this but the most credible statistics Suggest that there's been a net Migration out of the United States In terms of uh, illegals Returning to Mexico and returning to Latin America Partially because the Mexican economy Has done pretty well and, And they don't really want to live in the United States And partially because the United States economy Didn't do well so they left So the whole hysteria about border security, things are falling apart, it's just that. It is hysteria. There's no statistics to back it up. There's no problem of illegal immigration that anybody can actually point to concretely and actually explain. And look, if you – and again, I'm going to insult some of you, but tough. If you guys are reading Ann Coulter and just accepting everything that she writes, then you – it's like reading – Paul Krugman, and accepting everything that he writes, you're just as dishonest as, as that, right? It's, it's no different. She is, she is corrupt. She will produce false news if that serves her pro- purpose, just like Paul Krugman will lie about economics if it serves his purpose on the left. There's no difference in terms of, in terms of methodology between the two. You can't trust Ann Coulter produces its statistics. So statistics are almost always to be bogus the the way she calculates the 30 million illegal immigrants in the united states is so laughable and ridiculous that you you can't take anything she says seriously because she is a complete and utter partisan she has an opinion and she will manipulate the data for it and the same goes unfortunately for michelle malkin who has written this awful book on h1b visas i mean she I mean, it is so deceptive. It is so dishonest, these books. And yet I know objectivists who read this stuff and just take it as if it is. You can't read anybody out there today without being critical, without questioning, without asking for sources, without going and checking for yourself and Mm -hmm. and investigating this stuff. And yet, as long as it it confirms my bias— I know that this is true, right? I mean, that's, so, that's the perspective of so many people. That, that means that they, you know, people are losing any kind of sense of objectivity, and we're seeing that in the culture, but we're also seeing it within objectivism, this whole idea of what is, there is no real reality. All there is is false news of the, of the left and false news of the right, and there is no truth, and, and it's scary. This is, if you want a sign of the real deterioration of civilization and society, it's, it's the fact that people have no respect for objectivity anymore and that even some objectivists, uh, I don't know if it's because they're not objective or because they're just too lazy to do the research, but, but you know, look at the research. Look at what actually is said. And I could go over, over and over again, even, even with regard to Muslim immigration in Europe, the number of times people use bad or false or misleading or just straight out You know, uh, shabby statistics in order to justify their argument is 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 pretty horrific. And then, um, and without taking into account the source of the data, so you have to be very, very, very careful in how you use this stuff.
0: Okay. And so, so I think all all of what you're saying makes sense in terms of the mixed economy. There are some adjustments, but you're always going to be saying this proposal that I have right now is in the context of working toward an ideal immigration policy that you're going to have in a laissez-faire society. There are some you know, yeah. compromises that would be made just because of today's context. What about if it's on the brink of disaster, we are going you know, if we let all of these Muslim refugees in and or people who are all going to come and vote Democrat, then we've got a generation two at the most in our country's toast and people are saying we just can't let these people in who are so going to we, destroy us.
1: So here's the question. So if you say because we're toast, we're going to ban immigrants, and we're going to grow government, and we're going to give government more control and more power, you think that we're not toast? So we're going to be toast anyway. If, if that's where we really are, we're going to be toast. Let's arm ourselves to teeth, find a bunker somewhere. And prepare for the end of times or go to New Zealand, like some high tech guys are doing, and which I've been proposing to do for a long time. I mean, so you want to end, you want to die this way, you want to die that way. I don't have a very strong opinion about that. You want to buy a few more years by limiting immigration? Fine. But don't pretend. Don't pretend for one minute that this is in order to save civilization. This is to give you a few more years so you don't have to deal with the end of times that is coming. If things are that bad, that's what it is at the end. You're not, you're not buying enough time to make a difference uh, because you have brought yourself to that. This is the whole, my whole objection to Donald Trump way of thinking. The, the, and I'll talk about this a lot tomorrow. The reason we are failing is not because of immigrants and not because of Muslims. The, the reason Muslims and immigrants have such a... Uh, high impact, potential impact on our culture is because we are so rotten from within. So my whole focus is let's fix the rots from within. And in my view, immigrants can help us fix the rot from within if we take the right perspective. So if we take the perspective of when the immigrant comes in, we tell them how wonderful this country is and how they should adopt its values and, and, and do that, then I mean... I can't imagine objectivists arguing to expand the role of government, increase limitations, build walls, um, because, uh, you know, and and do everything that's against a long-term project in order to buy a few years. Now, I know, I know some people do. I mean, I think Leonard has this approach. I I can't think in those terms. I, I mean, to me, Both I think it's a wrong um, analysis of the world that exists today. Uh, I think it's a wrong analysis of the threat that immigrants pose and and how quickly we'll deteriorate. If we took all the energy we spend on immigration and focused it on trying to improve Americans, uh, I think that's a much better use of our energy, much better use of our focus, much better use of of what we have to do. And look, I don't think – I mean, I – you know, people are going to make fun of me, but I look out of my window and I travel all over the country. I travel all over the world. I drive all over America. I fly into godforsaken airports all over America. I meet people. I gave more talks at Tea Party groups, so people say, "Oh, you only meet with students, so that's biased." No, I've spent lots of time with Tea parties and with you know, and I've gone to where they live all over this country.
0: Right, and
1: the country is not falling apart. America is not dead America is not on the verge Of, of, uh, of a seizure And, and dropping dead uh, They are not what, There's not carnage in the streets If you look at murder rates We're still at some of the most peaceful times In American history um, Even with the latest Increase in crime uh, that's happening In place like Chicago The country as a whole is still unbelievably peaceful We're unbelievably wealthy we're unbelievably rich we we eat good food i mean what are we afraid of exactly you know the the right. world is coming to an end in a sense but that end is driven by ideology it's not driven by immigrants it's not even driven by politics it doesn't matter that much who gets elected to okay well of the how United about
0: how how about how about the idea though that it's yes it's crippled by ideology but politics right now is through the government education system controlling what ideology is dominating, and again, if we have a whole bunch of the wrong people here voting for the wrong policies, we get Common Core indoctrinating everybody further to bring in the status even more, and it's just going to get worse and worse. In fact, maybe that's what got Trump elected, you know, if you want to talk about it from the other side.: yes, um, so, so politics is a so ideology. Out all the
1: Mexicans though. So let's kick out as many Mexicans as we can. And then we'll get voting where, where people vote for Donald Trump and uh, the next Donald Trump. And this is better for, for America? This is better for freedom? Um, you know, so people people say, oh, Donald Trump's terrible. He's better than Clinton. Maybe. We'll see. We'll see in 20 years whether he was better than Clinton. Um, I'm just not convinced that we should adopt sweeping position on immigration based on the idea that the right is constituted today is better than the left. That I, because I think that both bad and they're both scary and what i want to do is limit the amount of power government has on us and uh and i truly believe that the republican if their party wanted to win they could change their message and get easily a majority of, of latin latino voters I, I don't think there's any evidence to suggest that latinos will not vote republicans when republicans have a sane policy towards latinos So this whole idea that, you know, immigration, and not only that, but if you had, if you allow more immigration, if you're more friendly to immigration, as I said, Swedish entrepreneurs would come here. Now, it turns out they turn leftist as well when they go to Silicon Valley. Now, that's a real problem, right? So maybe there's something else going on here that causes people to be leftist, and it has nothing to do with immigration. And maybe we should deal with that. I don't know. I just find let's deal with the real problems. Let's deal with the with the uh, fundamental philosophical problems, let's not advocate for more government, more government intervention, more government control to buy us a few years. In other words, let's sell our souls, you know, to buy a few years. So we do what? Um, this is a long-term struggle. What are we, we going to say uh, in, in 20 years to the Ayn Rand's of the world, and here I'm exaggerating a little bit, who didn't get into the United States because we put an immigration ban on and built a wall all in the name of preserving the American culture that is rotting away from within anyway. Right? right. I just, I mean, I would rather get a few more scientists and a few more Ayn Rand's and a few more Yulans and Ilan Juno's and the rest of the immigrants that are here at the Institute. And yeah, for every one of those 100,000 uh, Mexicans or Latin Americans or whatever, but you know, I, I think we're worth a hundred thousand. So I, I just don't can't see the orientation towards it, it, such an orientation towards doom and gloom that my very physical survival requires that I build a wall around this place. I mean, that could okay, the day could come, but let's also, let me also say this walls don't work. Immigration restrictions don't work. If, if millions of people actually really wanted to come into the, into the United States, first of all, there is no wall today and they're not coming. But let's say they really wanted to come. They would find a way. They would get on boats just like the Cubans got on boats and came to Miami. Right. They would fly into Canada, which allows Mexicans to come in with very little screening. And then they would cross the, the Canadian border where there's no wall. They, you know, they, they would find ways. They would build tunnels. They would blow up the wall. I mean, they would find ways. The, it, the idea that a wall protects you is so nonsensical and so anti-historical. I, I mean, Israel has built a wall. Are there they a lot fewer terrorist attacks in Israel? No. Every day almost you, you pick up the newspaper and you read about a nighting attack and a car attack. Why? Because they go around the wall. They go, you know, they find ways to get in. You cannot your country off. And if you do, what kind of country are you? I mean, who are you? Do you really is this the America we all want to fight and defend and stand for when when we're so afraid of immigrants? I mean Yeah,
0: so here here's here's the question, right? Because what some people are advocating for is that in effect Well, and first of all, some people do that as part of a a, kind of a smear on you. They say, oh, well, Iran lives in a gated community, and so therefore he doesn't understand the horribleness that's coming to us in these end times because of the danger from some of the immigrant populations. So so in effect, they're saying, why can't we have restrictions like a gated community for the entire country?
1: Because it's not a gated community. A country is not private property. We don't own the country. This is we're so, we're so social contract thinking, and it's wrong. This is what Ayn Rand rejected. Uh, under, under that kind of idea, we could have a welfare state. Why not? It's voluntary. You vote for it. Oh, there's a minority that's being forced. The hell with them. Um, the whole idea of a social contract is something Ayn Rand rejected. The goal of government is to protect the individual rights of its citizens period. It's not to defend our culture. It's not to advocate for... Indeed, Ayn Rand believed in a separation of state from ideas. The state itself has no ideas. The state has no economic policy. The state has no immigration policy separate from the need to protect individual rights. Just like in economic policy, it doesn't have economic policy separate from the need to protect property rights as they apply in economics, in economic decision-making. So, again, you have to think from fundamentals. Now, I have to say something about this gated community. I've already said some of it. I mean, this is so stupid and so insulting and so dishonest. Uh, anybody who says this is just is, is, is being dishonest. I, as you know, Amy, as, as my wife will tell anybody, I spend more time on the road than I do in my gated community.
0: But Right.
1: Um, So first of all, I'm constantly interacting with Americans and foreigners and and immigrants and uh, children of immigrants and all over the country from all parts of life, from all segments of society. So this idea that I'm somehow – I mean, there's a whole problem of viewing me as a rich guy in his gated community. I mean, that's such a Marxist approach. You're dictated by your economic position. Your your ideas are determined by your class. That's
0: pure Marxism
1: an right. objectivist who raised this is so, so ridiculous. Um, but, but beyond that, I didn't just – I wasn't born into a gated community. I, I emigrated into, into the United States with mm-hmm. very little, um, with very little, with basically enough money to pay tuition in two semesters. Um, I, you know, I, we had nothing when my kids were – when, when we brought up our kids, nothing. Um, I was, I was living off of a student salary, basically, and getting a little bit of help from my father-in-law. Um, you know, I worked hard. Uh, most of the money I have today was, it was not even generated from the Ironman Institute. It was generated from my, my financial activities. Uh, so I've had two jobs. My, my entire life as an adult, I've worked more than one job. So for these people to claim somehow silver spoon in his mouth, lives in a secluded thing, and again, remember where I come from. I come from the Middle East. I know Muslims. I know Arabs. I worked with them. I employed them. I've been to their homes. I fought them. I bombed their homes. I have destroyed them. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you're not talking about some naive American who's never traveled in the world and who's lived in Irvine, California his whole life. Give me a break. I mean, I, and, and I bet you that the people writing this, are reflecting in a sense their own perspective. What do they know about Muslims? What they've read in books? What do they know about America? What Donald Trump and a few crazy websites tell them about Donald about about America? How much have they traveled around America? Have they been to every single state in this union? Have they? Have, do they? Have they really? Have they hitchhiked through America? Which I have done. I, I wonder how many of them have hitchhiked through America. Um, it's just. It, uh, uh, you know, of all the people in the world to come at that particular accusation, you got your wrong target, guys. <laughs> so, so so the idea of America so as a gated community is a, is a negation of Ayn Rand's political
0: philosophy. Right. Now, an in, integrated community, you know, I've, I've, I've uh, seen an argument about, well, Right now we have gated communities, and each of those, they have their own little government within the gated communities. They have the little board or whatever, the community board, and they have their CCNRs and all this. But all of that, those are contractual agreements that are enforced by a government, and each of the people who live in a gated community governed by CCNRs, each of those people, they have explicitly signed on to the CCNRs. So, I mean, you know, regardless of whether you think – Right. Regardless of whether you think you could start, for example, like a Galtz Gulch or even an entire country, suppose you could, you could, uh, you know, have a government that is coextensive with a community where there's all these CCNRs above and beyond just the protection of rights and everybody signed on at the outset, you know, and the, the total
1: Territorial
0: that, jurisdiction that, is coextensive, and suppose the government agrees to do it. Suppose you could do that. That is not what United States is now, right? So, what you'd be doing now is you'd say, well, Okay, you I to... What'd you say?
1: Do that it would be wrong. That is, that is a wrong view of government. It is a wrong perception of government. It's well, again, right, that but you'd is you have a, to say, like,
0: is, there's, the, there's the private, you know, all the little private so enclaves. These CNRs
1: yeah. are governed by. The rules of contract—they yes. can only apply to very specific things relating to property. They mm-hmm. cannot, for example, restrict my free speech. They cannot, for example, restrict other rights that I have. They cannot be contracts that violate the American Constitution or, or violate the court's view of what a contract is in a free society. My guess is that CCNs today in America are probably broader than they would be in a free market because I think our court system is not as objective as it should be. With regard to property rights, I, but for, I think example, for example, could you context- could you
0: um, suppose suppose you could create a gold sculch, and so you have you know a subdivision, a neighborhood, whatever, and everybody who's going to live in that neighborhood has to take the oath, you know, I swear by my life, my love, etc. Um, couldn't you do that as a matter of contract? So it's not like they're you know enslaving themselves. But they all agree to take some sort of an ideological oath or a test or whatever. Couldn't you, you know, do that no, if they wanted?
1: You couldn't unless you owned all the property. That is, you can't Well,
0: right. You own the property. property. There's, a, there's a covenant that goes yeah. with the land. So people who buy a piece of but land within this, it. they agree to take the oath.
1: No, but they can't buy it. If they bought the land, then on their land, if they want to be altruistic, they can be altruistic. You have no jurisdiction over them as a private community. What they well, do but coven- covenants land, they do wanna...
0: go with the land. Covenants do go with the land. So for example, you know, if you yeah, buy in particular neighborhoods, they tell you you can only paint your house, you know, XYZ boring I get colors.
1: That. I get that, but that's what I'm trying to say is covenants are very, very Limited and should be very limited. Indeed, I think they probably would be more limited under objective law than they are today. And you cannot have a covenant that says if you want to buy a property in my neighborhood, you have to hold these ideas.
0: Well, what about golf That is where Midas Mulligan said, "Okay, people, everybody who comes in, because he owned the whole thing, right? So everybody who comes Gull-Skulls in has to take." Goldschmidt
1: is fiction. It is not reality, and it is – there is no – there is no government. Basically, Gulch Gulch is an escape from anarchy, and it, these are people, you know, and they can do what they want. But, but if, somebody, if somebody violated the covenant by acting altruistically on their piece of land, I mean, what could be done? If there was a real government there, what could be done? Nothing could be done to them in spite of the fact that they signed the covenant. You cannot have a contract that says, "I'm going to believe X for the rest of my life and act accordingly." That is not a contract based on the idea of, of a now, you know more about the law than I do, but I don't think that can be a contract. I think people take that now, out context.: So, the, so the, my, my position would be Colch, out of context, completely okay. out of context.
0: Well, and I, I agree that they take it out of context, but my position would be, suppose you could an entire country. Where the territorial jurisdiction of the country was coextensive with an entirely privately owned plot of land that you could, you know, uh, burden with, as we might call in the law, like all these CCNRs, these covenants that go with the land, such that anybody who purchases any of this land or is, you know, on a lease on any of this, they would all be restricted by some CCNRs. And the CCNRs could be up to, you know, you have to take the oath, right? Um, Maybe. Maybe. But but regardless of whether you could do that, you could, and then the government is just enforcing this contractual agreement that exists. But note, government as such, government never gets its authority from consent or you like contracts do, right? Government is just enforcing the contract, and and everybody would have to who have agreed to the contract. United States today, we do not have that, right? We do not have a territory that is coextensive with something that's governed by CCNRs, where everybody has been signed that, on to it and is obligated that, by it. We just don't have it.
1: You know. That is absolutely true. But I, I have to say that I think your hypothetical is there's something fundamentally wrong there. For example. It's,
0: it's a pipe dream. I'm just, I'm just saying that's what it would have but no, to be. No, but no, that's what but it would have to be.
1: Philosophically, it's wrong. But philosophically okay. Philosophically, it's wrong. Because, for example, a contract has to have a sunset. Contracts oh no! Of course, of course.
0: Covenants, covenants no, that go with the land, covenants that go with the land can't be forever. And it might be that you know, yeah, you have so, to have explicit renewals so and all this. Of, yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, and again, I don't think you can have a covenant that dictates people's ideas or people's alliance to particular ideas of people or what they do on their land. You can have it with regard a covenant can apply to the color of your house, but it can't apply to what you do on your land, or, you know, what kind of sex you have in your, in your bedroom, you can't have a covenant that covers that. That is a violation of my rights as a human being. And the government has to say this contract is invalid. If it covers those kind of things, it's the equivalent well, of a contract. That, suppose, that, that, uh, what that what if there's, place. what if there's
0: a, what if there's a contract of employment that says <laughs> that, you know, you can work at my whatever it is, but you can never drink alcohol. And we have the periodic testing, and if you even ever when pass... I'm
1: not working at your thing, even when I'm yeah. not working at your thing, I doubt that that's a legitimate contract. This is a completely different conversation. Okay. That we will have no, to no, have no. So yeah, so but, <laughs> I mean, so we
0: we could disagree about whether this ever should happen, but all I was saying is that. It would have to be a really outlandish scenario to govern an entire country like a gated community. It would have to be very outlandish, and it's certainly not what we have in the United States today. So what you'd be doing today is you'd say, I want to impose the costs of a gated community on the entire country, even though everybody has not signed on to anything like a CCNR, right? That's what you'd be doing today if you were trying to govern our country as a gated community.
1: That's right. Um, ah, see what's going on. Yeah, I, I, I think that's right. I think, I think the whole idea of comparing a country to gated community is a complete fundamental misunderstanding of Ayn Rand's uh, whole political theory.
0: Right, because, I mean, you can't get the authority of law from contracts, from, you know, from consent, that's first right. of all. And, and you know, the that's authority right. of law comes from the fact that it protects individual rights, and protecting individual rights is only against the initiation of force, and, it, you know, we talk about screening for the various purposes related to that. Um, yep. So do you think, what, you think we've covered the gated community argument well enough?
1: I think so. I'm sure people are going to have objections and people are going to uh, uh, not agree, but that's fine. I, I mean, I, I'm happy with what we've covered, yeah.
0: Okay, I've got is a couple on the more. Is there
1: chat that people that we haven't yet covered?
0: Uh, so in the chat, I, let's I see. I could have been
1: in the chat, but I didn't. no,
0: and I, I've 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 been looking here some, but a, a lot of it is stuff that we have been covering here. Um, there was a little bit of a complaint that if you say certain things are incredibly stupid, but that it's a position, it's not the people. You're not saying that the people are stupid. You're t- you're t- saying a particular position is incredibly stupid. Yeah, oh, I'm um, sorry.
1: This is the way I. You know they're gonna have to they're gonna have to live with it. But but yeah, I think the position is uh, is not a good not a good position. And if I'm exaggerating in uh, speaking, then I apologize to anybody who might be offended by it.
0: Yeah. Um. Okay. So I think we've got that. There are a couple. Um questions that were more in general. If you have time, we got about 10 minutes on my clock here for my yeah, show. Yeah. Uh, one, yeah. Tim, Tim Pecky asked, do you have any words of encouragement, or I guess maybe praise is what he means, for the president, for something he has actually done? Is there something that you would point to for Trump that you'd say, okay, that was good?
1: No. I mean, and, and, I, and I say this because I wouldn't How about a jeep pay at the Obama. FCC?
0: A pay at the FCC? How about that?
1: Well, we'll see what he does, right? So there are going to be concrete things that this administration does that are good, and, and there will probably concrete things that the Obama administration did that were good, and maybe the Trump administration will do more good things than than the Obama administration did, and more good things than Clinton would have done. Right. But it's a bad administration. It's Fundamentally flawed Their approach to the world is wrong they, You know, so Yeah, they're going to do good things So, so you know, the, the global warming stuff Sounds like they're moving in the right direction Although they, they keep backtracking on stuff So we'll see what happens They've mm-hmm. already backtracked on, on I thought him taking a phone call from Taiwan Was a good thing, right? And then today I heard on the news That he reaffirmed the one China policy So we're sucking up to the Chinese again
0: uh, mm, wow! Uh, so, he's talking so up to the Chinese. Wow!
1: Of course, of course. I mean, why why would you believe anything this this guy says? I mean, I, I mean, in many respects, what he's doing is unprecedented in terms of the fact that he is a, if you can be a consistent and ideal, and an ideological pragmatist. I mean, he there is no. Truth there, there is no um agenda there there was ever will work in the moment. that is what will get done and i and I think that's a horrible administration, even if it turns out that part of the time you 'll do good things because part of the time you know good even bad people see that good things work part of the time. Pag to see that so you know you know I know a lot of people are complaining i don 't say anything positive about Trump, yeah. Yeah, I don't, because I think fundamentally, at the core, this is a really, really, really bad administration, and nobody else will call them on it. Nobody else will call them on it. Republicans won't do it. Democrats do it, but they do it in such a skewed, horrific uh, way that it's up to us objectivists to say, here are the really bad things about this administration. Here's what's objectively bad about them. And yeah, they're going to do some good things, but, and there'll always be a but when I say that they've done some good things. And I think the same thing was true when it's, it's amazing to me how people are, 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 are tolerant of bad things done from the right and intolerant of bad things done from the left. Bad things are bad things. And we're not right. We're not left. All of these people are collectivists. We're individualists. We need to criticize their collectivism. When they do something good, we need to say, yeah, this is good for these reasons. But they did it for these other reasons. Right. And, and yes. the, the reasons are bad, and we need to call them on the reasons, even if the good is good. So everything he does is going to be collect- from a collectivistic perspective. And in that sense, everything he does is bad. And, but the or, or pragmatic or something,
0: so- too, right? Just kind of whim worshipy as well sometimes.
1: Yeah. Yeah, but it's all it, – the whole framework – for this administration And in particular as long as Bannon is involved Is collectivism I mean it's a dedication to collectivism In a way that we've never seen From the rights This is the most collect- Dedicated to collectivism um, Administration I have ever Now again if Bannon leaves at some point Maybe that'll change Because I don't know what Donald Trump actually thinks But so far uh, everything they've done has been motivated by a collectivistic view of the world, even when they do good things. So you want to deregulate. Why? Not because it lifts a burden off of in the shoulders of individuals, not because force is evil, but because it's good for the, for the economy. It, right. and, and if something else is good for the economy, why do we want to cut taxes? Not because it's my money, keep your hands off of it, but because cutting taxes is good for the economy. Um, and they used to be at least, you know, Ronald Reagan at least said government is not the, the solution, government is the problem. There was at least a recognition in the past by Republicans of the evil of collectivism and the evil of statism, even though they fell into it all the time. With this administration, this collectivism with no apology. And, uh, and, and that's why, you know, those of you expect me to say nice things about this administration— it ain't going to happen unless they really shift their perspective, and I, I I doubt that would happen. But even when they do good things, I will recognize that and then criticize the hell out of them in spite of that. And look, nobody else is going to do it. It's us objectivists or nobody. Let's let's carve out let's carve out the individualist perspective to the world. Let's make that a hallmark instead of instead of praising Trump the collectivist. Let's Fight against Democrats and Republicans And people say, Juan, you don't want to win <laughs> I can't win I'm a realist I know, we, we're losing So right. and, and Trump is not a win Trump is a defeat So I want to win But I realize that in order to win I'm going to have to attack Everybody in the entire political spectrum That exists today From Donald Trump all the way to Elizabeth Warren, they're all bad guys and we need to differentiate ourselves
0: really rigorously,
1: consistently, and constantly from them so that one day we can really win.
0: I agree. The, you know, the way I'm I put it with Trump, you've, I don't know if you've heard that book. Uh, there's the book, He's Just Not That Into You. And I say Donald Trump's just not that into your rights. You know, rights, individual rights are not an animating principle for him at all. And insofar as no. you know, the, found, you know, the founding principle of our country, individual rights, is not an animating principle for this man, he's dangerous, and, and that's all there is to it. So I think you've answered the last no, and, question, which is would Rand it, have it's, supported and Trump? It's not
1: animating principle, and it's not an animating principle for any politician, but the difference is that some of them give it lip service. Uh, you know, so so uh, uh, Ted Cruz and many of the okay. Republicans at least give it lip service to Sometimes. individual rights in the Constitution, yeah. and that's better than nothing. And, and Donald Trump never mentions the Constitution, and there's a reason, because he doesn't care. He wants what he wants, and, and he will use whatever mechanism. This is why he can call a judge, a so-called judge. You can criticize a legal decision without undercutting the legitimacy of the process. He wants to undercut the legitimacy of the process. He wants to undercut the very nature of American government. He is, and I've said this all along and, he, and I'll cut this all, in, he is naturally an authoritarian. Now, mm-hmm. he can't get away with it as we're seeing right now with the judicial system, but that's his instinct. His instinct is to tell you what to do and you do it because that's how you run a business. Right? You don't vote. You don't take it to a judge. You run the business the way you want to run a business. And he's going to discover that the American system of government, luckily for all of us, does not allow a president to just do that, um, but he will undercut it. He undercuts the legitimacy of, of, of the whole process, and he's going to continue to do this by the way he speaks or by the way he tweets, and that has long-term really bad consequences. Let me, let me also say this. Mm-hmm. My job, as I see it, is to really, really think long-term about the battle for civilization about how to win the battle for civilization that's that's the responsibility i have it's not about politics today it's not about you know what's going to happen in the next four years it's the consequences of what's going to happen in the next four years or the future of civilization and our ability to save civilization i consider objectivism the only hope civilization has um mm-hmm. That means you have to think about what a president does, not just in terms of right now, but in terms of long-term consequences. And that's where Donald Trump really scares me. Where does this administration lead to? And again, we've gotten a long way from immigration,
0: so... No, and and that's fine because, you know, again, we were in the section on the, the general for Trump. I'm going to address that the one guy in the chat room says that Trump mentioned the Constitution when he put forward Gorsuch. That's because he was prompted. Gorsuch was at the top of any GOP generic list for an appointment. We yep. got, you know, yeah. we got half a loaf with Gorsuch, and then, you know, we'll see how that's going to turn out in the long term. He's probably about yeah. as good it's as any. I mean, I
1: mean, Gorsuch is about as good as any Republican would appoint, and Gorsuch exactly. has probably been at the top of the list. Of Any Republican president, there's nothing special here, there's no special Donald Trump feature to this. And look, he, he needs to appease a certain part of his base, and he's trying to appease different parts. He'll build a wall to appease some people. This, this ridiculous ban on some Muslims, but not others, some countries, not others, is mm-hmm. to appease another part of his base. Gorsuch is to appease the Federalist Society part of his base. He is covering all his bases. He's, he's doing politics. Mm-hmm which is what presidents do right. but uh yeah and, and even in the debate once in a while he mentioned the constitution but you sure. clearly get the impression that that is not anything he's excited about or anything he cares about or anything that he really knows very much about
0: he's just he's just not that into it um Yaron, we are out of time i've only got a minute left so everybody needs to listen to your show tomorrow here on blog talk radio what time is that on
1: it's eleven thirty Pacific time in the morning Pacific time, and uh, uh, you know it, I'm going to discuss whether I think Western civilization is dead, dying, and what, and more importantly, what are the causes of that death. And I'm going to try to try to alleviate some of the panic that's out there, but more importantly, focus the battle, which should be, which is on ideas rather than on things like. The Muslims are coming. We're all going to die, which I think is uh, silly and ridiculous. Nobody takes Islamic terrorism as seriously as I do. But you also have to think about whether that's an existential threat to America or not and what are the real existential threats to America. And the real existential threats to America are at Berkeley. They're not in Saudi Arabia.
0: Thanks very much, Jerome, and I'll see you tomorrow.
1: Sammy, good show.
0: Thank you. Bye-bye. Okay, everyone, most of you guys are dropped off, but thank you, everyone, for listening. There are a lot of people who listen live who can't even hear me right now, but those of you listening in the podcast, thank you for tuning in. Hope you'll listen to my show on a regular basis. Don't let it go unheard. I'm typically here on Wednesdays, and I'm here at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific Time on Wednesdays on Blog Talk Radio. So thanks for joining me for my special episode, and I hope to see you next time.